So we started last week this series called My Not-So-Perfect Family. If you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go back and check the podcast. Uh, find out, man, go ahead back and listen to the message, either online, on iTunes, wherever it might be. There's a, a bunch of different options, ways you can find it through our church app. Uh, what we found out last week is a couple things. We found out that, that family existed before the fall, that family was God's design. And so even before sin, family existed. So family doesn't have to be dysfunctional. We all kind of have some different levels of dysfunction in our families, but it doesn't have to be dysfunctional. Then we found out that my family is broken, my family's messed up because I'm broken, right? That, that all of us in this room could go through and list a hundred different ways that our spouse misses things, that our kids mess things up, that, that our parents messed us up. We could all break out the list, right? That's not what this series is about. What this series is about is, is looking in the mirror and owning my part. doesn't mean it's all my fault, but a lot of it's my fault, right? That I bring my own brokenness into my family, and I can't fix my spouse. I can't necessarily fix my kids. I can't always, I certainly can't fix my parents, but the one thing I can work on is me. Uh, and, and so we're going to own our part. The Bible actually compares itself to a mirror. And so we're looking into the mirror of God's word, and, and sometimes we look into the mirror of God's word, and we like what we see, and, and sometimes we see that thing hanging out of our nose. Uh, sometimes we see that spinach in our teeth, right? And that's why it's good to look in the mirror, because you're like, man, if I didn't look in the mirror, or, or every once in a while you do it, and it's like been three hours, and you're like, I just saw seven people that are supposed to be my friends, and nobody told me anything, <laughs> right? Like, what's wrong with these people? Y'all supposed to have my back. Uh, not that I'm bitter, but anyway, uh, we're going to look into God's word and see what's off, see where we don't line up to, to God's picture, his vision of who we are supposed to be. Um, in fact, today, and my wife told me I need to warn you second service because I didn't warn him first service. Today, we're going to be a little while before we actually get to scripture, but we will get there. So, so don't think, okay, this is one of those churches that doesn't preach the Bible. We preach the Bible. Uh, we're, we're just going to do some other things first, and then we're going to get to the scripture, I promise. Um, my family's broken because I'm broken. What I want to do today is I want to give you five things that my family needs from me. Five things my family needs from me. And I don't say that as in, I want to make this message about Pastor Troy. Uh, I, I mean that as in, I want you to put it in first person as you take notes. In fact, if you didn't come prepared to take notes today, I want to authorize you to get your phone out. Go ahead and put it on like airline mode uh, or airplane mode so you're not getting notifications and distractions. But I want you to take notes on this. Put notes in your phone if you don't have anything else. Because I want you to be able to preach this to yourself. Because I really believe there's going to be some, some stuff in here that God wants to speak into your life. Uh, the reality is, church, every one of our families is messed up, right? Every one of our families doesn't look the way we want it to. Every one of our families doesn't look the way God wants it to. Every one of us falls short. And I believe that we can spend time in God's word, spend time in God's presence, and leave here, and not all of a sudden you're going to have a perfect family. That's not true. But that we can be empowered to be better. That our family can look a little bit more like Jesus because we gathered today. That's the whole point. That's the idea that we're shooting for. So I want to empower you. I want you to have some expectation today. I want you to believe God for something today. That, that he can do something in you that's going to start something in your family. Before we get into that, uh, I want to talk just a second about roles. We're not going to talk about roles today. In other words, we're preaching five things that all of us need to do, whether we're husband, wife, teenager, child, whatever. All of us need to do these things. So it, so it doesn't, uh, it's going to apply to us equally. 
But I do want to talk about biblical roles for just a second. So if you go ahead and put that picture up there for us, I want to talk about this. This is the biblical order of the family. So we have Christ, the umbrella of his greatest protection over all of us. Then we've got the husband who's called to lead the family, the wife, and then the kids. Now, the easy thing to do is for me as the husband to look at this and to kind of puff my chest out and feel pretty good, right? Like I'm towards the top. I'm right under Jesus. I'm a big deal. I'm important. But that's actually the wrong way to look at it. Guys, if you're a husband, hear me on this. What this means is not the higher you go, the more important you are. What this means is the higher you go, the more responsibility you have. You see, whatever level you're at, you're going to answer to God for the levels below you and your own level. So kids, teenagers, good news for you today. You're only responsible for yourself, but you are responsible for yourself. So this doesn't mean this message doesn't apply to you. It just means you don't have to fix mom and dad. You don't have to fix your siblings. You're not going to answer to God for anybody in your family except you right now. Now, one day you're going to grow up and, and pers presumably pursue a family of your own, and your responsibility will increase. But right now in this season, you're responsible for you. You're going to answer to God for you. We go up a level. Wives, you're going to answer to God for yourself and for the way you lead your kids, for what you put into your kids, for what you model to your kids. Not necessarily for everything your kids do because they're going to make decisions on their own, but what are you putting into them? What are you modeling to them? What are they seeing from you? That's what you're going to answer for God for. Husbands. We got to answer to God for ourselves, for how we lead our wives, model to our wives, and for what we do for our kids. See, the responsibility increases as you go up. Here's the good news. Who's at the top? Jesus Christ is at the top. You know what he did? He took responsibility for all of us. He went to the cross. He said, I'm going to pay the price because, Troy, I know you're going to screw it up. I know you're going to be messed up in a million ways. I know you're going to be a bad husband and you're going to fail your kids and you're going to let a lot of people down in a lot of different ways. So I'm going to pay the price for your sin. And he didn't just do that for me. He did that for all of us because he's the ultimate head. He takes responsibility for everything beneath him. Praise God that he does. So as we talk about this today, what I'm saying is, is it's going to apply to all of us. But the higher up the levels you go, the more important it is that you get this. Because your family's going to need this from you that much more the higher you go. It applies to all of us. All of us need it. But, man, we, th those of us who are towards the top are going to need it even more. It's going to make a greater impact if we can get a hold of this, if we can get this right. So I want to give you five things that my family needs from me. And we're going to start out and not spend a whole ton of time in Scripture. And then we're going to go to another section and spend a lot of time in Scripture. First of all, let me tell you a story from my family. So the other day, I think it was Thursday, it might have been Wednesday, um, I'm, I'm leaving the house, I'm getting ready to come to work, uh, I'm on my way out, and next thing I know, the, the door pops back open, and it's my four-year-old son. I have a son named Judah, who's four, and a daughter named Alexa, who's three, and, and so my four-year-old son pops his head out. We've already said goodbye. He's like a, we're pretty sure he's a physical touch love language, so he loves to hug, he loves to kiss, like he's a cuddler, like he's awesome. I love it, man. He, he, you can't be around him without just feeling good about yourself. So he pops his head out, and he goes... Bye, super dad. And he had never called me that before. But can I tell you, I was a little bit taller than five foot eight that morning, right? Like, like I walked a little taller. I felt a little better about my life. I said, bye, super Judah. Uh, you know, like I was feeling pretty awesome. The sad thing is a day will come where I'm no longer super dad, Right? He's four years old. He thinks I can do no wrong, and it's awesome, and I wish I could freeze time. But he's going to grow up, and he's going to realize 
dad doesn't follow through on stuff. He's going to realize dad doesn't always do what he says he's going to do. He's going to realize that, that dad has inconsistencies in his life, that dad has ways that he lets us down. All of us have grown up and, re- and, and realized that, right? For some, unfortunately, that realization comes a little early because our, our parents are, are bad. They're abusive. They're, they're harsh. They're, they're, they're very destructive. For others, man, we get to stay in that bubble for a little longer. But eventually that bubble pops for all of us. And for Judah, it's going to pop one day. I love that it hasn't popped yet. I will be super dad as long as I can. But one day I won't be. And that's the reality. Because all of us are broken. All of us are messed up. All of us fall short. And that's the reality. And so that's why our families are messed up. Because we're messed up. That's why our families are broken. Because we're broken. And so I want to give you five things that my family needs from me. That as I pursue Jesus... As I pursue his call on me as a husband, as a father, as a Christ follower, that these are going to impact my family. Five things that my family needs from me. Number one, my family needs spiritual engagement from me. My family needs me to be engaged spiritually. My wife Melody does this even better than I do. I'm I'm so grateful for her. She has an everyday time with God, Bible time, prayer time, and it's every morning. She's got a set time. And so some days that happens before the kids wake up. And sometimes that set time, you know, the kids wake up early and they're awake for it. But it doesn't matter. She's spending her time with God. And so two, three, four times a week, my kids will see their mom reading their Bible. They will hear their mom praying to God over their lives. Like they see this. This is modeled for them on a very consistent basis. Our families need us to be engaged spiritually. My parents, I I was blessed on on a number of levels, but blessed to grow up in a Christian home. Blessed to be 38 years old and my parents are still married. Um, Blessed to be 38 years old and my parents are still alive, right? Like like I've got a lot of advantages that maybe not everybody in this room has. And so my parents were very much not perfect. Our family was very much not so perfect as well. But a couple of things that my parents really got right that I would say, man, really defined them spiritually is both my mom and my dad are worshipers. Man, both my mom and my dad love to worship God. As long as I can remember, from from as as little as I ever was, I can remember my my mom getting on the piano and singing. Uh, Sometimes actually singing in church and being a part of worship teams. My mom can sing. My dad, on the other hand, cannot, and he gave me his voice. Thanks, Dad. Uh, And and so I can still hear my dad singing. Like, it leaves an impression, right? Uh, And and I'm terrified that my kids are going to be 40 one day, and they're going to talk about their dad and the impression that his voice made. But you know what? They're going to hear me sing anyway. I will make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all right? My parents were worshipers. They still are. They love to lift God's voice. They love God's God's name. They love to lift their voice to lift God's name. It was something that that defined them as long as I can remember. Whatever church we were in, they weren't afraid to, to lift their hands, to lift their voice. They weren't afraid to bow a knee or to get on their face. And it wasn't just at church. It was at home. It was in the car. It was in places where it was embarrassing. And we didn't want to hear it. But they modeled that for us. They were engaged spiritually on that level. The other thing that my parents did as long as I can remember is my parents have always been tithers. They've always been givers. They've always brought us into that. Not just they gave the check and we had no idea, but we knew this was part of the budget. This was something that that we did. So I remember being three, four, five, six years old, first time we got an allowance, we got $2 every two weeks. And we were told we're going to put two dimes in the offering out of our $2. Like this was something that we were taught as, as long back as I can possibly remember. And what's so cool about that is if you were to put my spiritual strengths on a list and my spiritual weaknesses on a list, the, the, the weaknesses list would be longer than I want it to be and the strengths list would be shorter than I want it to be. 
But I can say with, with all integrity, and a lot of you guys know me, if you were to list my spiritual strengths, I think the top two things I would put on the list is I'm a worshiper and I'm a giver. And I never until this week, putting this message together, made the connection. I'm slow, right? Holy wow, that's my spiritual DNA. That's what I grew up in. That's what my parents modeled for me. That's what they taught me by their life. Teresa just came up here and gave us like a visual illustration, right? My parents were a visual illustration for me. They modeled this. And so the crazy thing is when, when I was 16 and I got my first job and I started working at Taco Bell, my parents didn't sit me down and be like, okay, you're going to take $22 of that 220 and you're going to give that. Right? We never had that conversation. They had it when I was four, five, six years old. And I just did it when I was 16. It was just natural. It wasn't something I questioned. I, my faith had already been built in that area because they taught me and they modeled it for me. Now, the danger is when we teach something but we don't model it, right? When, when it's like, okay, do what I say but not what I do. That doesn't work, by the way, church. Like, there, we're going to reproduce who we are. We can teach what we know, but we reproduce who we are. My parents reproduced some things in me. They're worshipers. I'm a worshiper. They're givers. I'm a giver. It's been reproduced. It's because who they are that's now flowed in my life. And can I tell you the blessings that have come into my life because of the times where I've encountered God in worship. The blessings that have come in my life because I've been faithful to be a tither from the very beginning. It's not something I've ever struggled with, I've ever wrestled with. Such a blessing for me. Man, my family needs spiritual engagement from me. My dad is a big, tough Marine who, who doesn't show pain. Like, he's the opposite of me. He's a man's man. The only saving grace for me is I like sports or I would be like a total sissy boy, right? Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm not good with my hands. I cry like a loser. Like, uh, I, I would not be very manly except, praise God, I, from very early age I got into sports and I played sports and so I can, like, have that end of manly conversation and not completely look like a loser. Um, but that's not my dad. My dad's a man's man. But he was never afraid to worship God. He was never afraid to lift his voice. He was never afraid to lift his hands. And I saw that from the very beginning of my life. And I'm so grateful. Our families need us to be spiritually engaged, church. It benefits them. Not just the modeling aspect for kids, but, man, the, the trickle-down effect. That if I'm spiritually engaged, I'm going to be so much more engaged in their life. I'm going to be hearing from God and able to, to bless them and speak into their life and encourage them. We've got to be spiritually engaged. Secondly, my family needs consistency from me. This is where I fall really, really short. I know this comes as a shock, but I'm a little bit emotional. Um, and so one, one of the things about being an emotional person is like I'm, a, I'm super high extrovert. I don't know how much you guys know about like extrovert, introvert stuff, but I'm like as high extrovert as you can get. Uh, which means that I get energized by being around people. So yesterday, we got here about 8 o'clock for the work day. We were here until about 3 o'clock. So I, I did this work day for, what is that, like seven hours. Should have been exhausted. It's supposed to be my day off, right? I should have been just worn out, go home, hit the bed, go take a nap. You know what I was doing? I was bouncing off the walls after the work day. Like, I was just, like, uh, like manic at the house going, to Melody, we did this, and we did this, and we got this done, and we did that. And I was, I was just, like, so fired up over this work day. Why? Because I got to hang out with 25 of my closest friends and build the kingdom of God. Like, what greater thing is there than that? Like, I, I get fired up by that stuff. The problem is, if you're really high, sometimes you get really low. 
right? And, and, and so consistency is not something that comes easy to me. I'll make a decision, hey, we're going to do this. We're going to sit down and, and read the Bible or do this as a family, and my follow-through is not very good. In fact, I remember this from my own dad. I remember dad would be like, hey, every Thursday night is going to be family devotion night. And we'd do family devotions for two Thursdays. Maybe sometimes we'd hit that third Thursday, and then nobody would ever talk about it, and we wouldn't do it again until like two years later when he got convicted, and then we'd do it all over again, Right? And I remember as a kid thinking, like, what kind of a joke it was. Like, this isn't going to last very long. We're not going to do this very often. And, like, recognizing that inconsistency in my father, and now I'm my father. Right? Like, that same inconsistency applies to my life. My wife is the opposite. My wife is the most faithful. Like, her word is her bond. If she says something, it's going to happen no matter what it costs her. Man, I'm just, I'm like squirrel. Right? Like, distracted. I'm the puppy dog. I'm excited to be around you, and I'm fired up, but focused is not my strong point. Um, our families need consistency from us. Our kids need consistency. They need consistency and discipline. Right? The, the, the thing can't just be something that gets punishment only when I'm in a bad mood. But when I'm in a good mood, I look the other way. That doesn't teach them anything. That doesn't build anything in them. They need consistency. They need consistency in a lot of areas. My wife needs consistency in me. And this is something that I fall so far short of what God desires for my life. Um, thirdly, my family needs undivided attention from me. Undivided attention. Hang on just a second. What would you do if every Sunday, about halfway through my message, I was like, hey, I need to send a text message real quick? You would either tune me out or check out and go find another church, right? You'd either start attending Bedside Baptist because, hey, the pastor's not really invested in this. Or you'd find a church where the pastor was. What if every point, every five minutes, hang on, just one more. Almost, yeah, keep talking, I can't hear you. Right? I would never disrespect your time like that. I would never dishonor the value of the Spirit of God inside of you like that. And yet, you know how often I do it to my family? Oh. You know how convicted I got this week talking about this? Like the, 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 just the weight of what I do to my wife, of what I do to my kids. It's not that I don't care. Is that I care about other stuff too, right? Uh, and, and, and here I am. I'm, I'm like three weeks from being a millennial. I'm like Gen X at the very, very tail end. Um, but I'm very millennial when it comes to the phone. Like I'm very in tune with what's going on in the apps and social media and, and the internet. And I got my computer open to keep an eye on the baseball game. And I got all this stuff going on. And I can multitask decently well. And I can give them my divided attention. But my family needs more than my divided attention. They need my undivided attention. In fact, yesterday I saw a tweet from Pastor Ken Blunt, who once upon a time in a different lifetime played a man named Nicodemus on a show called The Gospel Bill Show. If you grew up Christian homeschooler like me, uh, you saw The Gospel Bill Show. Go ahead and throw that tweet up there for us. She said this. She said, when your wife wants to talk to you, shut everything down and look her in the eyes. You know how terrible I am at that? And here's the thing. My wife is a quality time love language. Which means she needs even more of that attention than, than, than the norm. Uh, and so, man, I'm convicted this week. 
man, you think I got up here to preach to you? I'm preaching to me more than anybody else. Like, I'm not standing on the stage preaching down. You guys be like me. Don't be like me. Be like Jesus. Because this ain't me. But I believe God's raised the bar for me. My family deserves my undivided attention. My kids deserve my undivided attention. That doesn't mean there's never a time for the phone or there's never a time for the ball game. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is they deserve a whole lot more undivided attention than they get. I'd never do it to you. Why would I do it to them? Fourthly, my family needs humility from me. My family needs humility from me. What I, what I mean by that is they need me to be able to humble myself and own my junk, own my failure, own my brokenness, own my, my mistakes. Uh, I think a lot of times, especially men, but, but probably sometimes women too, um, we struggle with, we, we want to maintain this, this role, this, this hierarchy of authority, and so we can't admit we were wrong. Right, we're, we're, this is where we're at. We're going to do this, and we're going to ignore this mistake, and we're just going to push forward. But, but God resists the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. And I need God's grace in my life. And so we've got to give our family humility. In other words, when we, when we make a commitment and we don't follow through, we've got to own that instead of making excuses. And, and, and when I say instead of making excuses, even excuses like, well, well, nobody's perfect. No joke. We all know that. Saying nobody's perfect when you mess up doesn't do anything. It just tries to reduce the impact of my sin. Right? We, yes, nobody's perfect. That reality exists. I'm not striving for perfection. We know we're not perfect. But I am striving to do what's right by my family. And if I miss it, I need to own it. I need to be willing to humble myself. My kids need to learn how to repent. One of the things that, that I'm so scared about having done so much time in youth ministry is there's a generation growing up that has not been taught, has not been demonstrated to how to repent. They don't know how to say I'm sorry. They don't know how to own their mistakes. And that's not to put the generation down. That's to put us down who've been modeling and teaching this generation. Like we're the ones who missed it. If they're messed up, it's not their fault. It's our fault. We haven't given it to them. And so we got we to gotta demonstrate how to own, you know what, I was supposed to, I told you I'd be at your ball game, and I missed it. And now I'm so sorry, buddy. Would you please forgive me? You know how much power there is? And would you please forgive me? Instead of just, yeah, well, daddy had to work late, and, and just try to ignore it and move on and hope they don't know. They know. They realize that we're not perfect. Maybe not when they're four. We're still super dad. But by the time they're six, seven, eight years old, they figured it out. And they need to see us model humility. My family needs humility from me. And lastly, my family, number five, needs grace from me. We've talked a whole lot about my brokenness and our brokenness and owning our brokenness. But the reality is everybody else in your family is broken too. <laughs> and they need grace. Right? They need us to be gracious to them. They're going to blow it. They're going to mess it up. And, and when they do, it's, it's really easy to come down hard on them and, and, and to, to try to enforce this is what's supposed to happen. And our families need grace from us. What I'm not saying when I say grace, by the way, is I'm not saying no discipline. I'm not saying no standards. I'm not saying no rules. What I am saying is in holding our kids to accountable or, or our, our spouse accountable and, and lifting up those standards, that we're extending grace in it. In other words, I still love you. Man, you missed it on this. But we're going to get it right together. We're going to do better next time, right? Like, that's grace. That's how God is with us. The Bible says that God disciplines those he loves. So I'm not telling you not to extend discipline in your family. I'm not saying never to hold anybody accountable when they fall short or to call them to something better. I'm so grateful that I have a wife who calls me to be better. I'm so grateful that, that Melody will see things in me and say, I think you can do better in this. 
I think God created you to be better in this. And she challenges me and she pushes me. I need that. So I'm not saying no standards. I'm saying when we enforce those standards, when we confront those things, when we discuss those things, we're extending grace in the process. Do you see what I'm saying? They need grace from us. We're loving them through it. We're, we're trusting them through it. We're believing them for a better tomorrow. While we're enforcing, man, we might have missed it today. My family needs these things from me. Now, like I said, I didn't give you very much scripture there, or really any, but we're not done. You see, I told you last week, I'm not going to give you a to-do list in this series. And here we came in, and I just gave you five things that need to be better, right? So what's the contradiction here? Well, here's the good news, church. God does not give me a to-do list to complete. God gives me a person to follow. See, what I don't want you to do is go out of here and be like, okay, I, I got to work on having more grace, and I got to work on more humility, and I got to be more attentive, uh, and, and, and I've got to do all these things. I got to be more spiritually engaged. I've got to do all these five things for my family. If you go out of here with that to-do list, it might last three weeks, but oh yeah, the other one's inconsistency. That inconsistency will pop up, right? In all of us. None of us are going to leave here and take these five things and make it better. I don't care how bad you want to. I don't care how much you white-knuckle it. We're going to fall back to the level that we've been before, right? Unless, instead of putting it together a to-do list, we fall into a better relationship with the one who actually has pulled this off. The one who actually wants to live through us. The one who actually wants to empower us to be like him. You see, God didn't just give us a to-do list. The Old Testament is all about the rules. It's all about the to-do list. And what's the message of the Old Testament? That that stuff doesn't work. That we'll never live up to that. That we're always going to fall short. Why did Jesus have to die? Because I can never be good enough to live up to the to-do list. So he had to come and die for me. And the message of the New Testament is not that the to-do list doesn't matter. Yes, it matters. Yes, we want to live up to God's expectations. But the way to live up to God's expectations is not to try harder. It's not to get better. It's not to work on myself. The way to live up to his expectations is to be in relationship with the one who actually does. And that's Jesus Christ. And so what I'm trying to give you today is not a to-do list to go do these five things. What I want to do is I want to point to the one who does these five things. Let you fall a little more in love with him. Let you give him a little bit more room in your life. Let you see something in him because God doesn't just give us rules to complete. He gives us a person to follow. And we're going to walk out of here today and follow Jesus a little better. And as we follow Jesus, these five things are going to start to click in our lives. And this is what I truly believe. So watch this. Number one, Jesus models spiritual engagement for me. From his whole life, we see Jesus spiritually engaged. Twelve years old, what's he doing? He's in the temple, right? And he's teaching the religious leaders the word of God. Well, this is what the Bible says about this, and this is what this means. And, and they're amazed at this 12-year-old kid's understanding. And you're like, okay, well, sure, he's Jesus. Of course he knows that stuff. But you know what Luke 2.52 says? Luke 2.52 says that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. In other words, according to Philippians chapter 2, Jesus emptied himself of his deity. He was still God, but he let go of the things that made him God, his supernatural powers, to come and experience what it is to be a man. If he didn't let go of that stuff, then the cross wouldn't have hurt, right? He could have supernaturally sat up there and, and you could have pierced him with however many nails, and it's just like, okay, I'm cool. But he didn't do that. He actually experienced what it's like to be us. And in order to do that, he had to let go of what it means to be God. He still was God. But he released it while he came here. In fact, every miracle he did, he did through the power of the Holy Spirit, not through his own power. To teach us, hey, you can do these same things. 
So Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. What's that mean? That means he didn't show up as a baby and have the whole Old Testament memorized. He had to learn the word of God just like we do. He had to study the word of God just like we do. And by 12 years old, he's so studied up and been so faithful and such a sponge that he sits down with the chief priests and the religious leaders and he's teaching them at 12 years old. Why? Because Jesus was spiritually engaged from the very beginning. He was so spiritually engaged. In scripture, we see Jesus pray when he's by himself. We see him pray in public. We see him pray before meal. We see him pray before important decisions, before he heals people, after he heals people, before he goes to the cross. In every situation Jesus encounters, we see him talking to the Father. Now, here's what's crazy about that. Jesus had known the Father from eternity past, right? If anybody knew the Father, it was him. And yet he's constantly praying. What does that tell me? I don't have a chance at accomplishing God's will if I'm not talking to God. I don't have a prayer because I'm not Jesus. I don't have a history with the Father, right? I mean, I have a history with him, but not like Jesus has a history with him. You follow what I'm saying, right? So, so Jesus models spiritual engagement. Jesus completely relying on the Holy Spirit. In fact, the gospel tells us at least 25 different times where Jesus prays. And when I say 25 times, I don't mean the Gospels say 25 different times that he prayed, because some of those are like four times at the the feeding of the 5,000, right? Because each Gospel records that. I'm saying 25 different stories in the Gospels where we see Jesus praying. It's in there, he prays like 40, 45 times in the Gospels, but it's 25 individual instances, if you follow me there. Um, Jesus was fully engaged spiritually, and because Jesus was fully engaged spiritually, guess what? You can be fully engaged spiritually. You can engage because Jesus engaged. Number two, Jesus models consistency for me. Aren't you glad he's consistent? Aren't you glad every week if I show up, man, one week I'm high and I enter into worship really weak, and the next week I'm low and I'm, I'm kind of distracted? Like he's the same, right? That Hebrew says this in verse, chapter 13, verse 8. It says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. That's consistency, y'all, Right? Why can I have some consistency in my life? Because Jesus Christ is consistent. And I can look to him as my model. I can rely on him to empower me to walk in his consistency. He walks in faithfulness. He models consistency for me. Number three, Jesus models undivided attention for me. At least six different times in scripture, we see Jesus, and it says Jesus looked at them. Jesus looked at her and said, Jesus looked at him and healed him. Jesus looked at them and said, Jesus was constantly extending undivided attention. How are you doing today, Naomi? She's laughing. Uh, she's nervous. Everybody say, hi, Naomi. Just put her on the spot. Right? Jesus was so good at, at blocking. You think anybody ever had an excuse to be distracted? It was Jesus Christ. Think anybody ever had some extra responsibilities besides the person who was standing in front of him at that moment? It was Jesus. And yet time and time and time again in the Gospels, we see Jesus block out all the noise, block out all the other stuff that's going on and say, hey, Shalom, what can I do for you today? Right? He's just engaging. He looks at people. In fact, in one example, in Mark chapter 10, he's talking to this guy called the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler, as you probably know the story, this guy's going to reject Jesus. Jesus is going to say, hey, if you want to follow me, here's what I need you to do. I need you to sell everything you own. Not because he tells all of us to sell everything we own, but because this guy had made money and wealth and possessions and idol in his life. He was saying, if you're going to follow me, I need you to get rid of everything. Because that stuff's going to keep you from loving me. 
It says that this guy's going to turn and reject him and walk away sad because he had great wealth. But in that story, you know what it says? It Jesus says Jesus looked at him and loved him. That's the Jesus I serve. Even knowing someone would reject him. Even knowing somebody would not follow him, even knowing somebody would not accept what he came to do for them, Jesus still gave that person his attention and still loved him. That's the model that we're supposed to follow. He looked at him and he loved him, knowing his failures, knowing his rejection, knowing what would happen. Jesus looked and he loved him. Isn't that awesome? Number four, Jesus models humility for me. Now, this one looks a little bit different. Because talking about humility, I'm talking partly about being willing to repent, right? Willing to own my mistakes. And, well, Jesus doesn't have any, right? Jesus never blew it. Jesus never made a promise and didn't keep it. Jesus never showed up late for a meeting, right? Like, Jesus is always on time. So he's not having to apologize and humble himself the way that we need to. But it doesn't mean Jesus never learned to humble himself. In fact, Philippians chapter 2 Starting in verse 5 says this, it says, in your relationships with one another, what are we talking about? Relationships. Family, right? Family's like the nitty-gritty of relationships. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset. Another translation says the attitude of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. How many of y'all know that's some humility? See, this is one of those instances where Jesus' will went over here and the Father's will went over here. He said, you know what, Dad, maybe those nails, maybe those thorns, maybe the weight of the sin of the world, maybe that's not so fun. Why don't we come up with the plan B? And Bob said, no, son, this is the only way. There is no plan B. If they're going to be saved, if they're going to receive restoration to me, you're the only one who can do it. And Jesus submitted his own will, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. What is he doing? The Bible says he's humbling himself. Not standing up for his rights, not saying, no, this is not right, the right way to treat me. He said, you know what, if that's what you need, Father, that's what I'll do. And praise God that he did. See, my Jesus models humility. And if I need more humility, if I need more ability to, to, to humble myself, to lower myself with my wife, with my kids, to get down, Jesus is the place where I'm going to find it. Number five, you can probably put together if you've been taking notes what this next point's going to be. Number five, Jesus models grace for me. He models grace for me. See, Jesus is grace, right? Like, I could find a million different scriptures to, to justify this one, to prove this one to you. I'm just going to give you one because it's one of my favorites. And it's, it's part of the spiritual DNA of our church. It's something we aspire to in our services and the way that we relate to people who, who are in sin and the way that we deal with ourselves. Man, this is, this is so foundational for us. It's John chapter 14, verse 1. Or excuse me, John chapter 1, verse 14. I got dyslexic for a minute. John 1, 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's Jesus. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus wasn't grace to the expense of truth. He wasn't truth to the extent of grace. You see, as Christians, we usually choose one of those. We got a default mode. Like, there's grace Christians who, man, I'm just going to love you, and we're just going to do this together, and God's full of love, and everything's happy, and butterflies, and man, we're grace Christians, right? And then there's truth Christians, and 
We're going to stand on the word of God, and this is what the word of God says, and we don't care what the culture is, and we're going to stand on the word. But Jesus wasn't either of those. Jesus was full of truth and full of grace. Right? Full of grace, full of truth. In fact, I believe it's not really grace if it's not full of truth. And it's not really truth if it's not full of grace. Like the two have to be together. And so Jesus Christ, my Savior, my Lord, my model, my example, lived a life full of grace. In other words, he didn't just let me slide. He didn't just let me be in sin. Man, sin was pretty serious. Jesus took sin pretty serious. So serious, he went to the cross. Right? Jesus didn't just look at sin and look the other way. He looked at sin and said, we got to do something about this. He extends me grace at every opportunity. Every time I miss it, every time I fall short, every time I make a commitment and don't follow through, grace, grace, grace. You can do better, Troy. I've called you to better, Troy. I know there's more in you, Troy. I know you're going to get better. I know you're going to grow in this, Troy. But here's some grace. But I still love you. But I still believe in you. We're going to get there. Man, this isn't acceptable. You can't let that happen in your family anymore. Your, your kids deserve better. Your wife deserves better. But, but here's some grace. I still love you. It's not over yet. You're not done yet. He's just extending grace and grace and grace. And that's the model for us. Doesn't mean we don't call people to their best. Doesn't mean we don't expect some things out of our family, man. We should expect some things. But when they fall short, we're going to get it next time. We're going to get this fixed. We're going to do this together. Jesus constantly extends grace. He's the model for me of spiritual engagement. He's the model for me of consistency. He's the model for me of humility. He's the model for me of grace, right? He's the model. He's the model of undivided attention. That's the one where I got the furthest to go. But because of Jesus' grace, I'm going to get there. Maybe not fully, but I'm going to make some progress. Amen? Not because I got a to-do list. Not because I'm going to walk out of here and make some stuff happen in my strength. But because my Savior died for me. And my Savior loves me. And my Savior sent his spirit to live in me and live through me so that I can live up to his expectations. Amen? Amen. Here's what I want to do, church. I'm going to invite you to stand. didn't do this first service, but I feel like we need to do this. I'm going to invite you to stand. If you would, bow your head and close your eyes for just a second. I just want to ask you this with nobody looking around. If you're here today, and this message was for you, you look at one of these five areas, and you're like, hey, I fall short there. Maybe you look at all five areas, and you're like, I'm not even close. I don't know where you're at on that spectrum, but I know this. God has amazing, unfathomable, incredible grace for you today, right where you're at. He's not mad at you. He's not angry with you. He's not running you off. He hasn't given up on you. But if you feel that prick of his Holy Spirit that I'm not where I want to be, he wants to take you to a new level. He wants to empower you to be more like Jesus, to give you a deeper relationship with Jesus that you can walk out of here and begin to be this for your family, for the people that you love the most, the people that matter the most in your life. And so with nobody looking around, if that's you, and you see I've got some room for improvement, Pastor Troy, would you just slip up your hand right now? I want to pray over you. In one of these areas, maybe multiple of these areas, I think i got work to do. Praise God, praise God. Anybody else before we pray? I don't want to miss anybody. Just keep those hands up as we pray. I'm going to pray over you, but I want to empower you to pray for yourself. Go before God. If it's a specific one, tell him what that one is. Part of humbling ourselves, right? Saying, God, I missed it in this. 
Let's own our mistake. Let's own our shortcoming and believe him through his spirit to empower us to be better. Father God, I thank you for your church. God, I thank you for awesome, incredible, amazing people that you've blessed, blessed me to do life with. God, I thank you that they make me better. God, right now, we, we all can look in the mirror of your word and, and we see that spinach. God, we see that hair that's out of place. We see that, that thing that doesn't look like what you want it to look like. That way that we don't quite measure up to Jesus. And so today, God, we own our sin. We ask you to forgive us of our sin. Whatever that area is, God, if we've not been spiritually engaged, God, I call right now on a father who's been spiritually disengaged. God, I believe through your Holy Spirit you're awakening him in Jesus' name. God, that he's going to come to life for his family. That he's going to begin to know you and trust you and talk to you and follow you in Jesus' name. God, any of us who've been spiritually engaged, awaken us, or disengaged, awaken us today that we can be spiritually engaged. God, for those of us who, who struggle with inconsistency, I'm at the top of the list. God, let us be like Jesus, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our family needs consistency from us. God, help us to do that. God, for those of us who struggle with, with giving undivided attention, God, we thank you that your attention is always tuned into us. God, that there's millions of churches gathering right now across the world, and yet you're tuned in on us. You are listening to our prayer right now, God, to everyone in this room. Your spirit is speaking to them right now, God, because you're the God of undivided attention. And so we thank you for that, and we ask you to make us more like Jesus, that we would be like him, that we would give that attention to the family that they so richly deserve, that they need, God. God, for those of us who struggle with humility, man, we walk in pride. We want our family to see our perfection, and, and we're not willing to own our mistakes. God, we repent of that, and we own them today. God, give us the strength, the courage, the boldness to be real and authentic with the people who are around us. They already know we don't have it together. God, give us the courage to share those imperfections and to own them. God, and that they would be able to see the progress as we pursue you. God, for those of us who struggle to give grace, Lord, we're the, we're the standard bearer, we're the rule keeper, and, and the family around us doesn't quite measure up to our expectations. God, God, forgive us for not extending grace. Holy Spirit, help us to extend that grace, to believe for a better tomorrow, to not give up on siblings who are far from you, to not give up on parents who haven't received you yet. God, to not give up on, on, on a spouse, on a child, God, who isn't living up to our expectations. Lord, let us be, be faithful to trust and believe and pray and intercede for those that matter the most in our lives. God, help us to do these things, God, in Jesus' name.